0: Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7, the game. Come on!
1: Oh. Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stephen Langford it on the pregame show, 95.7, the game, leading you up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast. We'll take you until 10. Today, we got free agency, 49ers making some moves, the Raiders made a move as well, but it's just weird, and we'll get to the Warriors and the Lakers, it is weird seeing the Patriots become spenders for the first time ever. (laughs) For the first time ever. I I haven't even kept track of every signing that they've made. Of course, Jonu Smith, the tight end, was the big one. Then they made a deal for Nelson Aguilar. Kendrick Bourne is going to be dancing when you know he gets a first down after a two-yard catch. I can't wait to see Bill Belichick's reaction to that. But they're signing a ton of guys. It's weird. It's weird. In the first three hours of free agency in 2021, Bill Belichick had already spent uh, half of what he spent in his entire free agency tenure with the New England Patriots. That's enough New England Patriots free agency talk this morning, but we'll get into everything uh, that the 49ers did yesterday and what is to come a little later on today because Ian Rappaport was on Good Morning Football this morning and gave us an update uh, regarding Trent Williams. So we will get to all that coming up today, but I did want to start off with the Warriors as they fall to the Lakers 128 to 97. The gauntlet is over. That's it. That six-game stretch, it's hard to imagine a tougher six-game stretch than that. Starting off with the Suns, going twice against the Lakers. You got to go against the Clippers, and you also got to go against the Jazz. And then you had the Blazers right before that. And the Blazers and the Suns were back-to-back. So, tough six-game stretch there. Possibly the toughest that they'll have for the majority of the season. I looked it up. There's not many six-game stretches that are going to be harder than that one. But I will say this, and let's just start out. You know, in the first quarter, I actually thought they did okay. It was decent. You know, it ended up being 29-26. to 26. I thought that... You know, Draymond, despite a couple of turnovers, uh, Curry was making some nice plays, a majority of them going to the basket. I mean, there was that one where, I mean, they were so casual about it. I was watching the ESPN telecast yesterday, and they were so casual about Curry essentially falling down under the rim and managing to scoop it up over his head and get... The bucket from there. He had that. He scored a couple going to the rim with his left hand. A, a, a couple of tough shots. And that's really what saved the Draymond turnovers. Because Draymond had, what, three in the first quarter? But it was the second quarter that really everything became into came into question. Then when the second half came along, everything was off the table. Starting unit didn't do much. Second unit again did it too much. and Then everyone in the fourth quarter ended up coming in garbage time. The only guy to play from the starting five was Kelly Oubre, and he only had four minutes. I mean, you got everybody involved yesterday uh, in the fourth quarter. You had Damian Lee involved. You had JTA involved. You even had Alan Smilagich involved. Two guys you didn't have involved were Michael Mulder and Brad Wanamaker. And as we are nine days away approaching the trade deadline – you can expect that those two uh, might be gone for, for some draft picks. Who knows? Maybe it's like last year where Glenn Robinson III, Alec Burks, and Willie Cauley-Stein were all traded for just a bunch of second-round picks. But another guy who I wonder will be... I wonder if he'll be involved with any of that. And this is a dude who, you know, as Warrior fans, we love and we've had respect for everything that he's done, but there has got to be a better option out there than what Kevon Looney is giving you right now. I really like the heart that he's shown with the Warriors. He's been with them ever since he was 19 years old, and now in his age 24 season, he's given a much more significant role, and... It just doesn't seem like there's much there anymore, you know. And and overall, last night, I think there was one sequence in particular that proves why they've kept Kevon Looney on the floor so far. But also, it shows the frustrations that we've had with him. It was in the first quarter. It was right at the start. He he didn't get that many minutes last night. I mean, he only got ten, which is his average amount of minutes. But he had this moment where he picked up this nice rebound, you know, fought for it on the defensive end. And then when he got back on the offensive end of the floor, he handed the ball to Draymond, and they don't have any place set up where they could get Steph open. And they have Kavon going one-on-one, posting up against Dennis Schroeder, and it's just a dud. It's just a dud. And then you follow it up, in the second half, at the start of the third, he's not giving you anything on offense. And on defense, they're switching him onto LeBron. He's not going to stop LeBron there. LeBron's getting the easy mid-range. Dennis Schroeder, sometimes they're trying to switch Looney onto him, and Looney's he's just going to get blown right by. He's going to get cooked. I just don't know the value that he brings at this point. And, and, and it's just, to me, in those, what, 10 minutes 11 minutes excuse me that he had on the floor I mean he had four fouls he was 0 for 2 from the field he didn't have any points I just don't see a scenario where you can benefit from keeping him on the floor anymore I don't know what it would take I don't know if you need to put James Wiseman in that starting five along with Stephen Dre and, and, and Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre because Wiseman, when he came in in the first quarter and replaced Looney, there was just an, just a jolt, just an ultimate energy boost uh, from the center position. He had a couple of strong buckets early. He had the offensive rebound over Montrez Harrell that ended up leading to a timeout and the Lakers getting frustrated, by the way. I mean, Montrez Harrell. Before I get back to what Wiseman's doing as well as Looney, Montrez Harrell. He seems to be a warrior killer. He had 27 points last night, and the majority of what he did uh, is with that second unit. But, man, I get PTSD watching Montrez Harrell because I was at Game 2 of the 2019 series against the Clippers when I think the Warriors had... It was, it was, I think, a 30-point lead. It might have been a 25-point lead going into the second half. And Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell just absolutely destroyed the Warriors on the pick-and-roll. Lou Williams doing whatever he wanted, and Harrell doing whatever he wanted as well. I mean, look, growing up a Raider fan, you know how many bad walks on the BART bridge I've had going home? that one from Game 2 of Warriors Clippers and what Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams did to that team, that might have been the worst one. There have been plenty. Too many to count. And sometimes if you're a Raider fan, you're just using that as a way. Uh, you're you're almost using that. You're almost a therapy group <laughs> walking on the Bart bridge on the way home after a Raider loss. But that one, after the Warriors lost in Game 2, anyway, Montrez Harrell, PTSD. That's what happened last night when I saw him. But... Going back to Wiseman, he gave you good rotations on defense, and there was one play where he communicated with Draymond and said, Hey, Draymond, switch back here. I'm going to switch on to Kuzma on the perimeter. Kuzma ends up airballing it. Wiseman plays good defense. And then on the other end of the floor, that leads to a Curry 3, and that ends up making it 21-17. to So there are plenty of little things that Wiseman did in that first quarter compared to what Looney did that just show me I wouldn't mind having him in the starting five, and you're asking me what I would do maybe with Looney on the bench? I don't know. I don't know, but it feels like, hell, even if you don't want to put Wiseman in that starting five, we saw what JTA gave him in the month of February. You're telling me JTA can't replace Kevon Looney for those 10, 11 minutes and give him something? Because if you're looking, if you're going to tell me Juan Toscano Anderson, he's not going to give you the rebounding that Looney will, well, Looney doesn't rebound too well on the offensive end. He might give you a couple defensively, but I think JTA can give you that. Can JTA set screens like Looney can? No, probably not. But they can run the small ball lineup that was working uh, in that stretch in February when Looney was out. I, I just don't know what Looney brings anymore. And speaking of the second unit, it is way, and this is just my opinion, but it is way too quick, way too quick to judge what the second unit breaks. This new look second unit. All right. You got the jazz. You got the Lakers. You got the Clippers like these are not easy teams to play in, in your with your second unit. All right? They're not. I think it's way too unfair to actually evaluate how they are going up against these elite teams. In the second quarter, they're going out there with Mannion, Poole, Oubre, Eric Pascal, and James Wiseman. And on the flip side, the Lakers got Taylor Horton Tucker, who's pretty damn good. You got Wes Matthews, who... You know, has been plagued by injury for uh, some of his career, but he's still a good player. You got LeBron, you got Montrez Harrell, and you got Kyle Kuzma. Guys with a little more experience than, say, the three guys who aren't even old enough to drink yet on that second unit. Okay? So, you got that. And, and, you know, you have those plays, like, in the second quarter where Wiseman got the tech on Harrell, and Harrell just absolutely flopped. He, like, came down with the elbow and hit him in the chin, but barely, and still got a technical for that. I, I don't know, but Harold straight flopped on that play. Um, but then Wiseman again comes back on the offensive board, and that leads to a Pascal three. Like, and, and this is... The thing that I'm talking about, it's the energy that Wiseman's bringing and then the other guys, you know? I, I just don't know. I, I think that Kevon Looney's minutes are replaceable, in, in my opinion. You know, and, and I, I Steve Kerr loves him, and we'll get to what Steve Kerr had to say after the game uh, regarding this team. But again, this second unit, I don't want to start judging it For what it is when they're going up against the likes of the Jazz, who have a couple of guys who could possibly be starters on, you know, not necessarily playoff teams, but they could still be starters in Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles while they manage to keep Conley, Gobert, or Conley and Bogdanovich or Donovan Mitchell and one of those two guys they managed to keep at least two starters on the floor at all times with that second unit. I just think it's unfair to judge what they do. Let's judge what they uh let let's judge them against the Rockets when they face them in Houston. Let's judge them in two straight games against Memphis. Um 76ers. We'll see. They got a lot of depth. But then you got the Kings and you got the Hawks. So this is a time where I think we can really evaluate the second unit instead of trying to put this expectation on them that they are going to be beating teams within the top five because of their depth. 888 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. Coming up next, you're going to hear from Steve Kerr, but we also have some free agency stuff to talk about regarding the 49ers. They made an addition that is a, not a part of their team, but... I think with the two signings that they made for guys who are 49 who are who were on the 49ers roster in 2020, I think they made some absolute steals. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Steven Lightford did on the pregame show, 957 the game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 957 the game. Here's Stephen Langford. 888-957-9570
1: is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. Last night was disappointing for the Warriors and the Lakers, and we'll get to what Steve Kerr uh, had to say regarding that loss. But, uh, I mean, we did have some moments. We had Steph Curry passing up Guy Rogers on the all-time assist list for the Warriors and uh excuse me just for the all-time assist list, and, and, and Guy Rogers <laughs> oh man Guy Rogers 37% from the field he averaged just under four, four excuse me five makes a game on over 12 points on or excuse me 12 attempts Jeez, I just completely botched that, but just looking at the numbers, that's exactly what Steph takes from three at this point. I, I mean, unbelievable. And he averaged seven assists again. So, um, I-, I do want to continue to talk a little bit about the Warriors and-, and just the fact that this second unit that they had this year, it's changed immensely. It has... Gone just in directions which I think Steve Kerr is still really trying to experiment with. But I think my main takeaway from last night is look, it's tough. It's tough to play the Lakers right now. They're a good team, even without Anthony Davis. And when you got a second unit who's just starting out and you got to throw them into the fire against the Clippers, the Jazz, and then the Lakers, I mean, what do you expect? You know, what do we really expect? We got a first dose of it against the Suns, but I do like the energy that I'm seeing from that second unit. I really do. But I I do think that we are way too quick to judge after three games. And I think that if you're going to face the Rockets, the Grizzlies, all right, you do have to face the Sixers. But then you got to go on to face teams that are just within that Western Conference um, that are up there with you, with the Sacramento Kings. Then you go on to face the Atlanta Hawks. I think this is a time when we can truly start to evaluate the second unit and if any actual changes need to be made. Um, The team overall just did not do well last night, and a lot of people are looking at Wiseman, but I thought Wiseman did a lot of good things in this game yesterday. Uh, and, and I think that overall, for me, I, I, I believe that Looney getting the 11 and a half minutes, I don't know if there's, I, I don't know what the answer is, but to me, you can find a way to replace those 11 minutes. And if you because what he brought on the floor last night to me, I don't think it's it's always the second unit that we're talking about. The defense that the second unit brings. What's the issue there? Let me tweet this out so I can get my takeout first and no one else can have it. But I mean, you're facing top five teams within the Western Conference. It's just it's like, how can we evaluate that? But with Kavan Looney. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's giving JTA more minutes and then putting him within that starting five because we've seen what happened in February and just, you know, playing him for the first five minutes of the first quarter and then, you know, the first five minutes of the second, then replacing him with Wiseman. Or is it the opposite way? Should they start Wiseman? in the first quarter, then bring in JTA along with that second unit uh, halfway through the first, and then to start the second, then you bring in Wiseman uh, to close out the third, to start out, uh, excuse me, to close out the second, then start out the third, and then maybe bring him in for a majority of the fourth and just give him more minutes. I know he's had his issues defensively, but he's also had a couple of good moments on defense, and it looks like he's been much stronger rebounding. I I just don't know where Kavon Looney's, I don't know where his place is on this team. Like, what is his role? I do not know right now. He might set a screen every now and then for Steph. You know, he might be in the right position sometimes on defense. But overall, last night, couldn't stop LeBron, couldn't stop Dennis Schroeder, couldn't post up against Dennis Schroeder on the offensive end. I, I, I just think that if there's any takeaway for me from last night, it's that. Um, I mean, you saw everyone getting minutes yesterday. It's crazy. Uh, but Steve Kerr spoke about Wiseman and what he can take away from this matchup last night.
0: Yeah, you know, there's so many lessons for James every single night. You know, it's it's hard being a young big in this league. There's so many lessons to learn, so many tricks of the trade, so many pictures that, that you have to see and recognize and, and then immediately react to be in the right spot. So, you know, it, it's it'll be a good tape to watch for him, you know, just losing, losing vision, losing connection on the backside of the defense. But it was a, it was a team effort money. You know, there's always five guys involved and I didn't, I didn't think our defense was, was good at all from any, any position.
1: And it's tough for him, especially because, uh, you know, again, toward the end of the first quarter, I thought Wiseman was fine. But in that second quarter, when there's not really a de facto center and you just got Montrez Harrell running around, making cuts, like, it's tough for Wiseman to do. I'm not going to put that all on Wiseman. It's a it's a team defense, and, you know, if Kelly Oubre is the one on the floor, he's got to be the one uh, that's dictating everything there. But clearly, it's the entirety of that second unit that's having struggles on defense. And again, it's the Lakers. So how can we really uh, uh, judge it from there? But I thought Wiseman showed some good things yesterday and really – ever since he missed the first three quarters uh, of that game, after missing the COVID test, the first game back against the Clips, I think that he's shown energy. He's shown something rebounding. And and a lot of it, we're looking in the first half in the second half, the game was kind of lost at that point. But in that first half, I saw a lot of good things from him. And the second, it wasn't too pretty. And then of course he ends up fouling out in the game. But, I think that he's shown enough to where, look, you can give him the minutes. Just at this point, that's all I want to see is just give him the minutes. <laughs> like, like I don't even care anymore at this point about, you know, ooh, you need to allocate his minutes to this guy or his minutes to this guy. He got 27 last night, and I want to see him continue to get something between 24 and 30. Every night going forward, and uh, you know, getting his confidence up. It was tough uh, against the Lakers, but Steve Kirk continued, and he's asked if there's any move that he can make regarding the scheme for the Golden State Warriors.
0: Well, uh, you know, we're going to stick with this rotation, Monty. We just just made the change a couple games ago, so we'll stay with it. But you know, the the number one thing, regardless of you know what play you run, what defense you're in. There's got to be a competitive spirit that we had yesterday and that we lost today. We've got to have that all the time. And that's the number one thing that we have to, to find. Um, and then we'll, you know, we'll worry about schemes and play calls and all that stuff. But, um, you know, we didn't compete tonight and that's disappointing.
1: And I will say this. That first loss that the Lakers had to the Warriors this year, that stung them. And the Lakers are one of those teams, sure, they're going to try in the regular season, but overall, these games are meaningless. They're just looking ahead to whenever it'll be when playoffs in you know, April, May, they're looking ahead to that time. They're not necessarily focusing on the regular season, but when they play the Warriors, they circle that one on the calendar. They're going to give them their best shot. Because I can guarantee you, LeBron does not want to let them lose this game. Same thing with Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell has played the Warriors more than any other team in his entire career. He's played more minutes against them. He's in the 400s uh, as far as total minutes against the Warriors. He's not. He hasn't had that with any other team. So it's a tough matchup overall. That gauntlet that they went through, start with the Blazers and then go to the Suns. You have the All-Star break. Then you uh, also had the Lakers as well in that. And then you play the Clips, the Jazz, and the Lakers again. I mean, this is is what... It's tough, okay? I've mentioned that billions of times. But this game, I just can't really evaluate the team until they play other teams who are of their caliber, which right now is ranging anywhere from... Best to six seed in the Western Conference, most likely within that playing spot from seven through ten. From the five one zero, does Kevon Looney start on any other team in the NBA? I, I mean, that's tough to that's tough to say. But I do know that in those eleven minutes that he gives you, you have got to be able to replace that. You have to. He's just very slow up and down the floor. Um, everything that was, you know, the issue I've kind of overlooked it. But at this point, I think seeing the slew of young talent uh, that's come into this Warriors roster, I think I'm, I'm personally ready uh, to see just them go in a different direction and, and, see, what else, uh, any, and see what anyone else can bring uh, at this point. But um, it, it's tough. Again, tough. One last thing from Steve Kerr, and, and let's just get to this, the growing pains. What's expected with this second unit? Well,
0: of course, there's going to be growing pains, but you know we're we're, we're not giving them huge minutes. You know they're coming in, you know for uh, for stretches of the game, and uh, this is this is how players develop. They got to play. We'll uh, we'll continue to to put those guys out there and give them opportunities, and uh, they'll continue to to grow.
1: And that's all we got to see. That's all we got to see. Brad Wanamaker and Michael Mulder were the only two that didn't get any playing time in this game, and them two could have absolutely got playing time closing the fourth quarter there uh, in garbage time. But look, it's clear that those two guys aren't in his plans. So now let's see the young guys develop. 888 uh, 957 is the text line and the phone number. I would love for you to weigh in here. If you're a 49er fan, Trent Williams, what is, what's it going to cost for you for the 49ers to, si- uh, to sign them. David Bakhtiari, left tackle for the Green Bay Packers, was given the most expensive contract in history for an offensive lineman. $23 million on average. Just on average. And when you hear what Ian Rapoport has to say, I wouldn't be surprised if Trent Williams and his agent are expecting that or maybe even more. But what is your price point? Triple eight, nine, five, seven, nine, five, seven, zero. Are you willing to go to 23 million? Or is it at the point where you're just like 23 million? No, not taking that. Triple eight, nine, five, seven, nine, five, seven, zero. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 the game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on five seven. The Game.
1: Here's Stephen Langford. Last night, the Warriors took an L, but they hoped to bounce back against the Rockets coming up. Then two straight against the Grizzlies. Then you got the Sixers. Then you got the Kings. And you got the Hawks. So... It's not like you're going against top five teams in the Western Conference uh, for the next six games, although the Sixers are a very good team. Don't think they'll be uh, with Joel Embiid, who um, thankfully the injury wasn't uh, season ending or anything. But that knee injury he had over the the, he sustained over the weekend uh, looked awful. That was really scary. Uh, But my question to you, and I want to talk a little bit about free agency as we can uh, get back to basketball a little later on in the show. But my question to you is triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number. David Bakhtiari, tackle for the Green Bay Packers, huge, huge dude, long hair, beard. Chugged beer at Milwaukee Bucks games and embarrasses Aaron Rodgers. He was that guy. I can guarantee you, if you don't know who David Bactiari is, he was the guy who was chugging like three different three beers in a row at the Bucks game. Uh, and he's pointing to Aaron Rodgers and making him do it. And Aaron Rodgers is like, nah. So that's David Bactiari in case you're wondering who that is. But he was given the biggest contract for an offensive lineman, uh, in history and it averages 23 million a year. So my question to you is do you think Trent Williams is worth 23 million a year? If you were John Lynch, if you were the 49ers GM, would you be willing to pay 23 million a year for Trent Williams? And I'll get to why I'm asking that question in a second, but 888-957-9570, that's the text line and the phone number. Please feel free to weigh in. I mean, free agency day one. There's not much like it. You know, teams can actually put pen to paper tomorrow. But, I mean, yesterday, you had the Patriots spending more than they've really ever spent especially in a single year. I mean, did you see that stat that in the first three hours of free agency in 2021, that was more money that Bill Belichick has spent on free agents than in his entire time with the Patriots, or at least it was half the money that he'd spent in the entire time with the Patriots. I think he spent upwards of like $350 million total in all his seasons as Patriots head coach. And yesterday, in the first three hours, they paid just over $150 million for their free agents, whether it's, uh, Matthew Judon or uh, Johnu Smith, but they also paid Kendrick Bourne. So Kendrick Bourne no longer uh, on the 49ers roster, and I will say this regarding uh, Kendrick Bourne as I as I pull up the contract here. Uh, three years worth $15 million, He's going to be averaging uh, about $6 mil a year. That's just in base salary. And then, of course, there are a bunch of bonuses that you can take into it. Um, there are numbers that are thrown around yesterday, but they all involve bonuses. Um, I just think it's going to be the funniest thing when Kendrick Bourne catches – A six-yard pass on a second and eight, you know, and they're still two yards away, getting him to a third and two, and he starts dancing in front of Belichick. I cannot wait till that happens. And Belichick, quite frankly, lets, I mean, to his credit, I know that they're all about the Patriot way, um, but he does let his players be who they are um, in some sense, especially on the field, you know, And, and I think he gives them that luxury, but still. I mean, when, when Kendrick Bourne catches uh, a meaningless first down in garbage time, um, I'm going to be laughing when Bill Belichick is just standing on the sideline in his sleeveless hoodie, just wondering what he did there. But they made a ton of signings yesterday. I think, though, that the 49ers and the moves that they made, you already know my thoughts on Kyle Juszczyk. Um I know there's some skepticism regarding his contract and the fact that he's 30 years old and who knows how much longer he can be that effective uh, at that position, and he needs to stay healthy within those five years. Uh, But I do think with Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle, that has shown me that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, for that matter, have clearly shown an aptitude now that not only are they a run-first team previously— but they want to be a run. But they want to be a run first team in the future. Um, and and from the four one five, I'm not going north of twenty mil for Trent Williams. Okay, that's very interesting. But um, a couple of other moves they made. They restructured D Ford's contract to make it a two year deal uh, worth twenty four million dollars. And uh, really, what they did was they wanted to restructure it so he didn't have as much of a cap hit um, on the team. And if they were to cut him straight up then it would have cost them even more than what they have to pay him. So um, it's really a lose-lose situation there. Uh, But, you know, if he can stay healthy, that's a big if. We've seen the impact that D. Ford can have on the field. But one of the other moves they made was signing Jason Verrett. And I think that this signing here with Verrett's new contract, I think they got an absolute steal. A steal. And it's only, uh excuse me here, it's a one-year contract. It's worth up to $5.5 million. And look, he's really betting on himself for one more year because I'm sure in free agency there weren't teams that were willing to give him that multi-year deal just yet because, after all, he did play one full season. But seeing that play that he had last year, seeing that he was the Pro Bowl caliber type of cornerback, and the fact that they signed Emmanuel Mosley, I think that's given them some stability in the secondary. And here's the thing. If they keep Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley, and those two are going to be your starters, who knows what's going to be happening with Kwan Williams. Um, but look, they can easily have Jamar Taylor fill in on the slot. And Jamar Taylor was not that bad. I think that if they have at least gotten their starting cornerbacks – that takes off a position that they might want to fill in the first round of the draft and they can trade up and draft a quarterback. But one other move has to be made, and that is Trent Williams. And that's why I asked you, triple eight, nine five, seven, nine five, seven, zero, how much are you willing to go for Trent Williams? Is it twenty three million? You know, are you willing to go for that amount of money? Because Ian Rappaport of the NFL network he said this yes or he said this this morning on good morning football and he said look this williams deal It's going to be done today. Uh, We still have a couple top, a lot of top free agents still on the market. And maybe the top one, Trent Williams, the left tackle, star left tackle, pro bowler, still out there. And I know the San Francisco 49ers have been trying to bring him in, trying to agree to a deal. Nothing done yet. He still has several interested teams after him, including Chicago Bears, including the Kansas City Chiefs. Potentially that one will fall today. So he says the Chiefs. The Bears, they're in on it. And Brian Baldinger yesterday, he was on the morning roast, and when he was asked if the 49ers need to sign Trent Williams, keep in mind, this was yesterday. Here was Brian Baldinger's response.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I would, Because if, if they don't sign him, I mean, Indianapolis is going to – he'll be an in Indianapolis Colt tomorrow. I feel like they, they put him next to Quentin Nelson. Oh, my and Lord. they, you know, try to stop our running attack, with oh. Jonathan Taylor. So, I, I mean – I. that's what I would do if if he hit the open market because they have a lot of money in Indianapolis and they value offensive linemen probably more than any other team in this league. I don't think he's going to be a 49er if they don't lock him up. So I'd do everything I could to to do it.
1: And the Colts have just as much room as the, as the chiefs, Um, the bears, not so much. I'm not sure where he's getting those bears numbers from, um, as far as just looking at the salary cap, and Ian Rappaport knows way more than I do, uh, but uh, just looking at the space that they have, it looks like the Bears um, are even over the salary cap at this point. I'm sure they've done some restructures and all of that, but um, I don't know if they'd be in the running. But when I hear Ian Rappaport say that, say that other teams are looking at him, and knowing that Williams has said he wants to be with the 49ers. He thinks it's a great fit. And not only does he think it's a great fit, but everyone who is writing those articles, all the national guys, you know, whether it was uh, ESPN Plus or uh, with Matt Bowen or whether it was The Athletic, they were all saying that the best fit for Trent Williams would be with the 49ers. But if they haven't gotten the deal done already and they're most likely going to get it done today, as Rappaport mentioned that tells me that these other teams possibly like the colts maybe like the chiefs they got a lot of money to spend right now and they're just going to spend big on uh, they're just going to spend big on key position players and just try and build through the draft and maybe find some other guys, you know, in after free agency, after the first few days is kind of over and the under-the-radar guys are available and the Chiefs make those moves for someone speedy on offense and, you know, who knows what's going to happen with their defense. But in my opinion, those other teams and what it sounds like to me when I, when I hear that, it's that they are willing to offer him Look, we are not. We might not give you 23 mil, but we'll give you upwards of 20. We'll give you at least 20. And Brian Baldinger mentioned yesterday also that he's in that 20 mil a year category. So if Williams is in that 20 mil a year category and they haven't signed him just yet, clearly other teams are making some intriguing offers. So if you're the 49ers... And you want to retain Trent Williams, you might have to sign him to that deal. I'd be very interested to see how much he's worth in the amount of years that he has left. But and and, and to me personally, I think he'd be worth it. I really do. You know, we always say franchise quarterbacks don't don't grow on trees, or you know, all all these different things. But Hall of Fame-type linemen at left tackle don't grow on trees either. And you are not looking too good on the interior. And granted, if they don't fix the center position, then how much is that really worth? But to me, if you're willing to give Trent Williams a four-year, five-year deal, whatever that may be worth, I think personally that if you have him, you have Kittle, and you have Juszczyk, I think that you can build around those guys, possibly find your quarterback in the draft and trade up for them, and then go from there. And, and you know, next year, it's not looking like a Super Bowl team next year. It's not. And you're not going to win through free agency. Teams don't win through free agency. That just doesn't happen. What the Patriots are doing right now, it's out of desperation. That's why they're signing so many guys. It's because Bill Belichick is sitting there going, look, I had a ton of guys opt out last year. They didn't want to play, and now we have the money to spend. I'm going to go and spend it, but we don't know how their team's going to do. Right? And the 49ers clearly aren't in desperation mode either, but I think that signing Williams, if you have the opportunity, you know, and, and you offer him this amount of money, for just say a few years, whatever. And it may be less than the, what the other teams are offering. But I do think that guaranteed has something to do with it. That's what get these gets these guys going. And maybe you lay him with some incentives as well. But I think signing Williams is key here. I do think it's something they need to get done. And if they don't retain Trent Williams, I will have big questions going into this year as far as the line. You could get the center position locked up, sure. But having a good Hall of Fame type left tackle, I'm telling you, I think that he is legit. And, you know, he wasn't great last year, but, I mean, he took a year off and then went into a season without any training camp and just had to be thrown right into it. In that game against the Cardinals, did you see that hit that he laid out? Give him another off season with the team that he's familiar with who knows what's going to be happening with training camp and in preseason and all that stuff? But I think that Trent Williams would absolutely be worth it. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero from the four zero eight. Trent isn't the best; he's the one who got beat when Jimmy hurt his ankle versus the Jets. But sign him because McGlinchey needs help on the O line. Niners all day, every day, and who knows what's going to be happening with McGlinchey as well. From the four one five, I'm not going north of twenty million for Trent Williams. I can understand that. I can understand if you don't want to. But I mean, going into this year, you're going to have big questions on that offensive line. No matter who else you sign, because um, guards, tackles, all the expensive ones are getting signed at this point. And you could, you know, possibly get an Alex Mack who understands Kyle's who understands Kyle's system. But this is for the future, and I think Trent Williams uh, would be best suited to go forward. And you have that veteran lineman for the future, kind of like an Andrew Whitworth with the Rams. Triple eight nine five seven. Nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. But another signing that they made, and this is one that I haven't even talked about yet, but Samson Ebukam, who is a outside linebacker, he was in a three four defense, so he counted as an outside linebacker, but he's primarily used off the edge and in the four free scheme that D'Amico Ryans is going to continue to uh, deploy with the 49ers he's going to be coming off the edge there um he signed a deal with the 49ers yesterday it's a contract a two-year deal worth 12 million dollars can be worth up to 13 and a half um, because it is an incentive laden contract and you know it's a good signing the best available the best ability is availability right and in my estimation he is not missed any games so far through his four seasons with the Rams. So you have that, but also the numbers, they're not massive. They're not explosive. I just think it gives you a nice depth piece. And not only can you bring him off the edge, but you can also, um, you can also use him on special teams as well. He had a big play against the Seahawks earlier this year where he forced a fumble from DJ Reed. Um, but and he also forced a fumble on Nick Mullins. Take a listen to this. Mullins from the pocket. Ball is fumbled. He gets it back. But at the 35-yard line, he's brought down. Now, you didn't hear Abu Cam's name, but it was new 49er Abu Kam who made that play. And by all accounts, I think that um, the athleticism is there. You know, he's not the biggest dude, but he has a lot of speed and he's shown a lot of strength. And, um... Look, who knows what he can bring, but really this is just a move that shows the 49ers, they need someone at edge rusher and someone who can at least just be on the field, seeing as how their depth got challenged last year. But also, I do wonder with these guys, with the Rams, and I'm always skeptical uh, when it comes to players like this, and not not just players like this, but just players with the Rams in general on their defense, especially within the front seven. When you're playing with a guy like Aaron Donald, those numbers can escalate, and it can make you look really good. And, you know, a majority of his sacks last year, uh, they came in one-on-one situations, and they were impressive. Don't get me wrong, they were impressive. One of which was going against a tight end, but the other two uh, were going against the left tackle, the, the the more impressive ones where he managed to get to the quarterback. And he also stopped the run on a few plays as well. He's a decent player. But I always am skeptical regarding players who have been with uh, Aaron Donald. And on the opposing side, you're going to have Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa back, so that can give him some sort of advantage. But look, this is just a signing where, you know, I I think that for me, it's it's nice. You know, it's nice. You do not want to go wasting your money, for example, like the Titans did. <laughs> the Titans giving Bud Dupree an average of $16.5 million a year, you don't want to do that. All right, because, again, kind of like Ebu Cam, he's played alongside some damn good pass rushers in Cameron Hayward and TJ Watt and... He's been able to—he's, you know, he's been relatively good. He was a first-round pick, but paying $16.5 million for that guy? A little too much. Uh, who's the other one? Trey Hendrickson. I mean, the Bengals just absolutely overpaid for this dude who had a bunch of empty sacks. None of them were quality. At least these ones with Abu Cam, you know you're getting quality there. So, look, it's a nice depth piece, but overall, I think that uh, getting Verrett for the value that you got him at— was just an absolute steal and this year he's really going to be using this as a year to prove that he is worth a multi-year deal. So, I think as far as the cornerback position goes, you are you're you're not you're not necessarily set because you still need to fill a slot corner role, but you got a good one in Jason Verrett who's out here to prove something. So we'll see what happens with Trent Williams. But another thing I'm I'm curious to see is where they'll go uh with quarterback. I still think they're gonna sign a, a veteran backup and the one that I'm looking at that I expect them to sign uh would be Jacoby Brissett. That's just my guess. That's just my guess. I think that Jacoby Brissett is Kind of just this journeyman backup. And I'm seeing stuff with Mitch Trubisky and, um, you know, Andy Dalton and Ryan Fitzpatrick. They look like they're off the table. But I just see Jacoby Reset at least being a serviceable backup when needed. And also, you get time to develop. Another franchise quarterback, which I think they're going to end up trading up for in the draft anyway this year. So um, the way they're shaping out their roster right now, they haven't made any splashy moves. But again, these teams like the Patriots, I mean, they're doing that out of desperation. You're not necessarily making any moves uh, out of desperation here. But I do think that you got enough to pay Trent Williams. And if he's willing to stay and says that he likes the fit, with the 49ers, then I think you got to pay that guy because not a lot of left tackles like him do come around. And last season, you know, if you think that that's who Trent Williams is, a guy who didn't have really an entire offseason to work with the 49ers, didn't have a preseason, had limited training camp, um, I think this year uh, he'll come back stronger than ever after he took a year off previous. So uh, I think you got to get that deal done. And again, Listen to Ian Rapoport here. Uh, we still have a couple top, a lot of top free agents still on the market, and maybe the top one, Trent Williams, the left tackle, star left tackle, pro bowler, still out there. And I know the San Francisco 49ers have been trying to bring him in, trying to agree to a deal. Nothing done yet. He still has several interested teams after him, including Chicago Bears, including the Kansas City Chiefs. Potentially that one will fall today. So potentially going to fall today. And if it doesn't get done today, then you can expect that negotiations for him are flying off the charts. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone. And you know, it's a tough warriors game against the Lakers last night, and we'll see if they can bounce back with uh, one against the Rockets in Houston, then a couple in Memphis against the Grizzlies. Then you're going up against the 76ers. Then you got the Kings and you got the Hawks, uh, a little more favorable matchups there than in the past six games. But coming up, you're going to have King of the Hill at 7.30. Wiseman watch at 8 o'clock. Then Kirk Morrison will explain who Ebu Cam is at 8.50. Then Sean Salisbury coming up as well. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow at 5 a.m. on 95.7 The Game.